For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thirty-two teams, thirty-two mind-blowing, earth-shattering, league-winning fantasy football stats. Some on players, some on teams, some on coaches, but more importantly, Hayden Winks, you're back in America. How are you doing? Back in America, as it should be, uh, on the site, 32 free team previews. Go read all of them. Lots of good stuff in there. That's where all of these are plucked from. This is going to be rapid fire, one after another, after another, and we kick it off. With the Arizona Cardinals, in eight games without DeAndre Hopkins last season, Hollywood Brown averaged 13.9 fantasy points in half-point PPR, which would have equaled the wide receiver 10 in scoring on a per-game basis. Now, he finished as the wide receiver 32 overall in points per game scoring, but now, on Underdog Fantasy, you can currently draft him as the wide receiver 31. So with that in mind and being potentially the funneled wide receiver, Hayden, maybe there is some value in the one player other than James Conner that we want in this offense. Yeah, I think that Marquise Brown and Rondell Morgan get peppered with targets. Cole McCoy is going to get the ball out. And then once Kyler comes back, I think that will disproportionately help Marquise Brown because Marquise Brown is obviously going to win down the field a little bit more. But I think both of them are being overlooked because nobody wants to draft anybody from the Arizona Cardinals. I get it. But at some point, there's going to be enough passing volume because this defense also sucks. Next up, Atlanta Falcons. Quickly baseline stats. These don't count. 29 attempts per game for Desmond Ritter in his four starts last year compared to just 23 for Marcus Mariota. We've heard from Arthur Smith all offseason long. They want to be more balanced. Maybe that gets them up to, I don't know, 33 pass attempts per contest. But what I wanted to talk about was that Atlanta, in your column, you wrote that used play action and threw the ball down the field at the highest rate in the NFL last season. But they still finished 30th, 30th in big play pass plays and we're dead last in catch rate on passes traveling 15 plus yards i mean just looking at it cal pitts caught three of 19 deep targets drake london four of 14 olimia zakias four of 11 demir bird three of nine so it's almost twofold more pass volume and at the very least if that regresses to the mean positively for us really good things at least for drake london yeah, I, there's still some weirdness with Kyle, Kyle Pitts. He's still battling through an MCL injury, and it might be an MCL plus injury. They've been very vague about that. The problem with this stat, though, is I think Desmond Ritter's also inaccurate. So <laughs> I don't think we're going to regress to the NFL mean, but all he has to do, the baseline, is be better than Marcus Mariota, and that's a pretty easy bar to clear. For somebody as good as Drake London is, intermediate and downfield, he can win everywhere right now. Intermediate specifically, he was 10th in the NFL in intermediate target rate last season at 41.2%. I'm not saying he's A.J. Brown, but I can't get that A.J. Brown usage in an Arthur Smith-led offense out of my mind as like the visual of what Drake London can be on this team. Baltimore Ravens. So Lamar Jackson is one of four quarterbacks to average over 23 fantasy points per game since 2019. And what's interesting about that is Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, it's Patrick Mahomes. There is a separation factor that's happening at the quarterback position, and it's because all of those players that I just named can run the ball. Lamar Jackson is going to run the ball, but the offense is going to not only pass more with Todd Monk, and that's been kind of the the storyline of this offseason, but they're also going to play with faster pace. And I think that Lamar Jackson can have one of these massive upside seasons. He's now going the third round of fantasy drafts. I think that's a bargain where he's going. And if you can tack on Mark Andrews, go, go for it. But you can also just kind of figure out which one of these wide receivers you like. My personal favorite is Rashad Bateman. But the true winner right here is Lamar Jackson. He seems healthy. The offensive line looks in better shape right now. And I love this new offensive coordinator change. This won't be the last time we talk about pace on the show. So I just quickly want to put it into a little bit of context. The team with the fastest pace last season was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I believe 25th was like the Carolina Panthers. The Bucs ran 11 more plays per game than the Panthers last season. More plays likely equals more fantasy points for all of us. And that's why whenever you see neutral pace, fast pace, whatever, 
it is so important here. And as you can see in the underdog fantasy pick em lobby, 24 passing touchdowns for Lamar Jackson next season. And yeah, you mentioned Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman, basically going back to back in drafts right now. Odell Beckham is going slightly later um, and their receiving yards projections are very, very close in their higher lowers in the pick em lobby. Next up, Buffalo Bills. So Gabe Davis, he had 10 games under 50 yards, but Gabe Davis also had five games where he had 74 yards and a touchdown. And if you look at some of the uh, injuries, he had three games where he was on the injury report with that bad ankle sprain. He averaged only eight fantasy points in them. In the 11 games after the injury or when he wasn't on the injury report, he averaged 11. So in your redraft league, yes, it's hard to predict the upside games. But in best ball scoring, he was actually the wide receiver 27 because we don't care if your wide receiver scores five fantasy points as long as he's getting you to that 20-point range. And I think that Gabe Davis is still going to be in a good spot. And Josh Allen himself, he was going down with this like little elbow injury that was kind of lingering. His stats were a little bit down, but they were still second in points, still second in EPA, and they were like one of the worst turnover teams in the entire league. The fact that they were able to still be an effective offense despite all those turnovers, is a good sign for both Gabe Davis and Josh Allen. Spoke about Gabe Davis with Ron Stewart. That's the episode with the sick, dare I say, Bijan Robinson thumbnail was in my lab on that one. But the thing with Gabe Davis is last year he closed as the wide receiver 19 in drafts. This year, right now, he's going as the wide receiver 38. And he's been the same player the entire time. Like we had to pay up thinking maybe there was a leap Last season, there just isn't, but his strengths, as you said, equal the strengths of Josh Allen, and we're going to get spike weeks out of it no matter what. I mean, he's the wide receiver 13 in week one, hobbled, then the wide receiver one overall, wide receiver 18. And so that context, it doesn't have to be like, oh, he's going to be the you know top 15 wide receiver for the rest of his year. He's not going to make that leap, but just these spike weeks, to me, makes wide receiver 38 very palatable, even if we can say during that selection he's a far far imperfect player yep carolina panthers last time miles sanders was coached by deuce staley 63 targets in 2019 52 targets in 12 games so all of you out there you can pull up his final two seasons when he was with the philadelphia eagles and they stopped throwing to their running backs or he gave some of that opportunity away you can cite deuce staley's quotes during january that this is going to be a split backfield prior to free agency. Or you can reset your priors and realize that Miles Sanders is going to be given the stage to be a three-down back on the Carolina Panthers this season, and he's going to have to fall on his face for that to be taken away from him. And with that in mind, you are able to draft that profile at running back 20 right now on underdog fantasy behind a kick-ass offensive line and a quarterback, as we've seen throughout his collegiate career, is very willing to check the ball down to his running backs. Again, you're getting that in the sixth round. Yeah, he's paid too much to be a dead zone back, in my opinion. He's the prime of his career, and the backups behind him, the camp reports early on with Chuba Hubbard, a little bit up in the air. There's even been some, like, Reem Blackshear kind of buzz that he can possibly be the number two, which is actually just saying Miles Sanders is clearly the number one, and I think a lot of these situations, I think that Bryce is going to be somebody that's going to be utilizing the running backs a ton. A good processor, Joe Burrow, for example, check down to Joe Mixon a bunch, and that's going to be one of my next things up top because they're processing, get the ball out, don't take sacks. I think that's going to be a perfect fit for Miles Sanders. Most money of any free agent running back this offseason. And just think about running back contracts this offseason and how no one is getting paid. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can take head coach Frank Reich's word for it when he says he really is, in a lot of ways, a complete back. We really look for that in the number one spot. We want him to be on the field on all three downs. Six-round price tag for Miles Sanders. Five years ago, that'd be in the third round. Chicago Bears. So the Bears running backs combined for the 30th most expected fantasy points, despite the team being second in runs per game. And this is just another one of these examples where a run up the middle on the 50-yard line doesn't mean anything basically in fantasy points. Four yards, four rushing yards, it doesn't mean anything. You got to catch passes and got to score touchdowns. Well, the Bears aren't going to be catching passes to the running backs because Justin Fields is not going to throw the ball to his running backs. And then they're not going to get to the red zone enough. For example, like the Eagles last year, 
they were 18th in running back points because they were so damn good, even though they didn't catch any passes. So right now, I think that Khalil Herbert's a good player. I think Roshan Johnson's a good player. Same thing with Deonta Foreman. But I think with three people involved there and this little fantasy usage, I think I'm going to be taking a stance. I'm not going to draft any of them uh, because it's too muddied right now. But you're not having to pay very much for them. I mean, Khalil Herbert now is just ahead of the 10th round at pick 118. Roshan Johnson running back 48 at 150 overall. Deontay Foreman running back 50 overall. But you're basically saying something has to happen for it to be less muddied in order for you to invest. My only counter, and you know, we always like to draft good players on maybe a good team. That point is far from known with the Chicago Bears. Um, I think Khalil Herbert is one of the more underappreciated, underrated runners, and there's a lot of advanced metrics that point to that as well. Yep. Cincinnati Bengals. So quietly last year, Joe Mixon set a career high in targets with 75 and receptions. And Samaji P runs on town. And what happened last year with the Bengals is they became the 29th team in average depth of target. All of those shots downfield to T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, back and forth downfield. Well, they kind of erased some of those because of the way that defenses are playing. Obviously, more two high shells. What does that mean for Joe Burrow? He's just going to check it down. And Joe Mixon caught a ton of passes despite not playing any third downs last year. Samaji Piran's too got a, a pass protection, good soft hands out in the flats. Samaji Piran's leaving behind 51 targets and 4.9 expected touchdowns. If Joe Mixon could handle any either one of those he's going to have top five fantasy use at the running back position he's still going too late in my opinion now that he took that big pay cut we knew that was coming i don't think there's that much suspension risk based off of what i know about his uh his uh legal history right now so right now i'm just looking at this if he's going to catch 60 passes and he's going to get all the goal line reps i mean how does this go wrong joe mixon last year ran 18 total pass routes on third down three catches uh in 2021 he ran just 27 routes on third down with six receptions. So either we are going to get like a juggernaut season from Joe Mixon or someone is going to take that Samaj P. Ryan role, which is very important for the Cincinnati Bengals. We've talked about it on the running back sleeper show. I think it might be Travion Williams, but man, if it is Joe Mixon and the talent he has warrants it because he has been a pass catcher during his past, not just it just hasn't happened on third down. One and a half receiving touchdowns, higher or lower right now. Yeah, that's that's a really good one. That's a really good one. Next up, the Cleveland Browns. So the very similar to the Joe Mixon uh, discussion, Nick Chubb was on pace for 53 receptions back in 2019 when Kareem Hunt was suspended. Last year, Kareem Hunt also left behind 6.9 expected touchdowns. So it's the same thing with Joe Mixon. If there's nobody to actually absorb the Kareem Hunt role, I think that Nick Chubb has a fantastic chance to set a career high in all of his receiving numbers. And we already know how good he's going to be on, on the ground and he's going to soak up all the goal line opportunities. I don't think that Jerome Ford's going to have that kind of goal line role that Kareem Hunt would kind of have. I think this is the first time that Nick Chubb has the RB one overall in his range of outcomes. I think the Browns are going to pass the ball more. And I think that Nick Chubb, has good enough hands to actually stay on, on the field for some of those situations. And I will gladly swap out three carries for one more target per game. And I think there could be a chance where Nick Chubb has like two or three more targets than we're used to. I love how Kevin Stefanski utilizes 11 personnel more than we've seen in the past with the Baker Mayfield led Cleveland Browns, right? And 11 personnel theoretically just lightens the box for Nick Chubb. I mean, last year he led the NFL in 15 plus carries. Um, he's averaged five yards per carry in every single season. It, it, it's nuts. I'm with you. A running back one overall season is in the range of outcomes here for Nick Chubb. Dallas Cowboys. They've been second, first and second in neutral offensive pace over the last three seasons. Now Kellen Moore is gone. Mike McCarthy is back calling plays. And as you wrote in your column, the last three seasons as his play caller in Green Bay, his offense is ranked 20th, 25th, and 19th in neutral offensive placed. So that is one thing that is going to change here for the Dallas Cowboys. The other part is when the play calling changes, most likely their red zone touchdown success is going to change as well. And Dallas finished first in red zone TD rate last year. So both of those combined 
I'm not even citing anything about Dak, Tony Pollard, CeeDee Lamb, just the offense as a whole probably takes a few notches down than we've seen in the last couple of years. So do you think that like the ancillary piece are going to have a harder time? Like Brandon Cooks is kind of on the fringe right there is like this. You don't see it with him. You don't see one of the tight ends kind of breaking out Jake Ferguson. You just think it's going to be if the offense is scoring a couple points fewer per game. That just means that it's going to be harder for Gallups and those guys to get there. I'll bounce it back to you. What do you think it means when things like pace change? Yeah, I, I'm worried about C.D. Lamb's his price tag. Like I think like C.D. Lamb's going to be a fringe wide receiver one two. But he's like 11th overall right now. Like to me, like how does CD Lamb really get there? Like I'm not sure if we put CD Lamb in the Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams category as a receiver in general. And if we think that the Cowboys are going to drop down in pa- pass rate and pace and all that stuff, I'm I see CD Lamb more as like a, a round two, three turn player, not a round one, two player. I just did a project that will be coming out here in the next few weeks. Took a look at a bunch of the explosive plays that Kellen Moore created last year for the Dallas Cowboys and how it's going to fit with the Chargers. So I watched a lot of Cowboys tape in preparation for that. It is amazing the pre-snap and post-snap answers that Kellen Moore is able to give his quarterback. And it's not that, okay, on a second and 12, we're going to turn it into a third and five. It's okay, on a second and 12, if this happens, if this defender goes in this direction, you're going to hit a 20-yard explosive play. So a lot of coordinators cannot do that, and Kellen Moore is very good at doing that. Denver Broncos. So Jerry Judy quietly finished as the wide receiver 20 last year per game. He averaged 80 yards per game in his last 11 healthy games of the season. He had four games of over 100 plus yards he averaged 2.2 yards per route run i think there was a time where jerry judy was extremely overrated now it's kind of seems like the narrative's like jerry judy's just overrated and i think that now is the time to actually buy in to maybe even another step here my one concern is sean payton under drew when drew Brees was kind of declining i think that's a pretty good similar uh kind of thing that's happening to russell wilson is they ran the ball a ton. They're like top five in carries per game in three of the four seasons. But I think that Jerry Judy is significantly better than Corlin Sutton and Tim Patrick and all those guys. And I think if if Sean Payton was picking one wide receiver to build around for the next couple of years, I would think it'd be Jerry Judy. And I think that we weren't paying attention to the Broncos late down the year, rightfully so, but that's when Jerry Judy was really starting to take off. Fascinating. Um, I actually, and I only saw this on a Twitter clip. I'll leave believe Matt Harmon said the opposite of what you just said uh, in that obviously Jerry Judy has taken a step, but in relation to all of the prices um, that is rich, a top 40 overall pick for Jerry Judy in comparison to around a hundred overall for Cortland Sutton, 168 overall for Tim Patrick, this passing game. And it's not just the wide receivers we have uncertainty about. It is also the quarterback that we have maybe Mm -hmm. more uncertainty about. All roads lead me, and we just talked about this with Bill Barnwell and others, back to Samashe B. Ryan as one of the players I just like can't stop drafting after pick 107. Um, because to me, that is like the one known factor in this offense that I can rely on. Yeah, I just look back. He was 46th overall uh, last year using fancy points over replacement per game. I would guess if you said right now, is, he, is the Broncos going to have more or less passing production this year? I'm going to say probably better. Sean Payton. Detroit Lions. Man, now this is going to be a stat, and I kind of jumbled these together, that you can point as a good thing or a bad thing. They were top six in the NFL last year in turnover rate. They were second. Red zone touchdown rate, they were fourth. And in deep ball catch rate, they were sixth. They were hitting on all of the regressionable type of stats, turnovers, red zone success, deep targets. They were fantastic in all of them. The problem is now we're pricing that as if that's going to stay the same and this is still jared goff and like as much as i love some of these other players and like like i want to believe in the jameer gibbs height to some extent i want to believe that amon ross st brown could be a round one type of fantasy asset a part of me is looking at these these numbers and be like well if those just go down from like top six to like 10th 12th those are pretty key stats i'm a little bit worried that we're buying too much into the detroit lines and i would not be shocked if jared goff was uh, going to let down some of the fantasy players. We've seen this one time before. You hater. You absolute hater. Now, what I always say about Jared Goff is that if he gets protection, he is going to put up numbers. Always. I mean, it, it is a cliff when he's pressured and disrupted. I think going back to your point, 
we can maybe take that leap and question on a lot of teams every single year if they can match what they did the previous year. But for the Lions, nothing's changed. You know, like what has changed is maybe they've upgraded the running back group. Now, maybe they get really bad injury luck a la the Los Angeles Rams last season along their offensive line. And then that would tank absolutely everything. But just from what is on paper right now, nothing negatively has happened in order for them to regress. And that offensive line all intact. James Williams still isn't playing, uh, but Amon Ross St. Brown is still going to thrive in that zero to 10 yard area. Plus Ben Johnson stayed like that is the core yeah. and the piece right. of, of the, the, the queen, the chessboard that moves everything around to me. Okay. Next up the green Bay Packers. So Jordan loves starting wide receivers and tight ends combined for 1.5 years of NFL experience. I mean, and then Jordan loves what got three games. This is like the youngest offense that there you can possibly draw up right now. So the guy that is going the highest right now that I'm a little bit concerned about is Aaron Jones. If the entire team starts to struggle here, and that would not be too much of a surprise, I would be a little bit concerned with Aaron Jones. Even last year inside the five-yard line, he was out-touched by Jadillon 10 to 2. So he only had two t- uh, carries inside the five-yard line. That was with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. I'm worried about touchdowns when it comes to Aaron Jones. And last year, he set a career high in targets. He had to take a big pay cut. So I'm just a little little bit worried about the inexperience overall here. And none of the Jordan Love numbers by himself look very good. I mean, Christian Watson going is pick 41 overall. Obviously, the explosive plays last year were insane. He's so good with the ball in his hands. He's so fast down the field. But it is a question if Jordan Love, you've only seen a very small sample size, and it worked occasionally can hit those same one-on-one perfect placement throws to the wide receiver to create those big plays. The the real overriding thought I have about the Packers this year is they might finish top five, top seven in carries this season. But I think a big part of that is they have to be winning in order to do that. Yeah. Or neutral. They can't be losing in order to be you know top five to seven in carries this season. Yep. Houston Texans. So Damian Pierce had... 20 opportunities in nine of 11 healthy games, 20. And he was actually the RB 15 in fantasy usage. And I think that the Texans are going to be significantly better under CJ Stroud. They just paid Titus Howard, a bunch of money. Laramie Tunsil's good. The entire offensive line looks pretty damn good to me. Nico Collins. I think that he's ready for a breakout show. I even got more pumped after listening to you and Matt Harmon talk about him. But I think all of that just going to be leading to Damian Pierce, who they obviously are going to want a pretty balanced approach. This is the same uh, coaching staff that's been uh, or the same coaching tree that runs a pretty balanced offense. And I think that Damian Pierce is going to soak up a lot of it. And Damian Pierce, what's so good about his profile is he runs really hard, but he can stay in there and pass protect a little bit. I think he has soft enough hands. So if there is going to be somebody that is quietly a bell cow, I think that Damian Pierce might be that. And I love drafting him as my running back three in like the sixth, seventh round. I love these running back prices on underdog right now. And give me all the Damian Pierce. If he's in my flex, I'm throwing a party. Yeah, you don't have to convince me to draft more uh, Damian Pierce. I've been doing it all summer. His price has gone up. Now he's the running back 22, 70th overall player. Stealing. Still stealing, in my opinion. I mean, we talked about the running back 20, I think, is stealing in Miles Sanders. Running back 22 right here. I mean, in Damian Pierce, he handled 54% of the carries inside the five-yard line. The same as Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, or Andre Stevenson. That was just seven touchdowns, 50% inside the 10, 54% inside the 20-yard line. But on the 15th most carries, he forced the fifth most tackles and the 16th Dog. most 10 plus yard runs. And now we get a system coming from the San Francisco tree that has made massive ceilings and huge big plays uh, from their running schemes and their running systems. And I can't wait to see Damian Pierce in that. Indianapolis Colts. Colts quietly were eighth in pass attempts last year. They didn't do anything with them, obviously. But when you're just looking at it and you're just trying to see how you're going to make the, the math work, Michael Pittman was the wide receiver 33, even though there was all those pass attempts. I'm a little bit worried just in general if Anthony Richardson's going to be able to lift the rest of the team up. I'm worried about Jonathan Taylor's receptions. I'm worried about Michael Pittman's receptions. And that Anthony Richardson could be a fine enough fantasy asset. He can show flashes. He could be worth building around. And at the same time, drag and put a ceiling on a lot of these uh, weapons around him. So I love Michael Pittman as a player. I think it's just going to be harder for him to make the math work because I think the pass attempts is going to come down. And if I had to guess, Anthony Richardson is probably going to have 
pretty low efficiency through the through the air just because he's so inexperienced. I believe in Anthony Richardson, but I think I believe in him a lot in a couple years from now, and I trust this coaching staff, but not necessarily for this year. Yeah, obviously it's Shane Sykin now versus Frank Reich, Jeff Saturday, Parks Frazier of last year. It is such a difficult scenario to try to guess how much of the offense that Shane Sykin just plucks from Philadelphia and inputs into this team because that's not just the Shane Sykin system. I mean, he coached Justin Herbert and was the play caller just a few years ago with the Chargers, and that was a very different offense than the mm-hmm. one that we saw of you know inside zone, then RPOs and screens to your tight ends, and then when you suck everyone in, it's deep shots to the wide receivers on the outside. Um, I'm a huge believer in Anthony Richardson. I can't wait to see him learn on the job. But like you said, as much as I love Michael Pittman and think he can be an alpha wide receiver, some of the math can be a little bit difficult. Yeah, for sure. Jacksonville Jaguars. I love this one. So the Jaguars were six in, e- in EPA per dropback, a very efficient passing offense. And this is the opposite of, of the Lions, despite being 20th in red zone touchdown rate, 24th in turnover rate, and 20th in deep catch rate, which means that they are on the, the the very stable things. They were extremely good, and we should not expect that to change at all. I see some Calvin Ridley clips uh, coming back from vacation, and I love to see all of that. I think it's a perfect scheme fit. And even last year, the Jaguars were fourth in wide receiver fantasy usage. Give me Calvin Ridley lapping Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. I think that Calvin really has massive, massive potential here. And I think all the stable stuff is there to stay for Trevor Lawrence. If he can just get a little bit luckier, and this is to me just luck in the red zone with turnovers and throwing the ball downfield, there is a ton of room for growth, even for the Jaguars last year. As you see on the screen right now on the NFL season projections over underdog fantasy, Calvin Ridley just for 871 and a half receiving yards how many do you think christian kirk had last season did he break a thousand probably just broke a thousand yep 1100 1100 can't you picture calvin ridley having a better season than christian kirk put out there last year and we're getting almost 250 yards of wiggle room in that uh I, i did a show with sean syed just focusing in on calvin ridley and i was amazed by the comments all of you left so out on Calvin Ridley. How, how can you hype this up? He's going way too early. Look, we're here to play. We're here to win. And Calvin Ridley is one of those guys that we have seen Doug Pearson, I think, make chicken salad out of a bunch of, not outcasts, but players that people didn't feel were premier talents. We have seen Calvin Ridley be a premier talent. So just think what this offense can do with someone like that if he gets back to 90% of his previous four. Yeah, we need to do a bold prediction show so I can give out my final Calvin Ridley takes. <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, this one's silly. They were first in 20-yard pass plays, and they were also first in short yardage success rate on the ground. So, like, I mean, wh- what are you supposed to do here? Like, their offensive line kicks ass. Obviously, they're switching uh, their left tackle, but I think that's going to be totally fine. How do you stop this? This was without Tyreek Hill. Like, does any of it matter? Like, Kadarius Tony now has had surgery. He's going to be dropping an ADP. Sky Moore is getting camp uh, buzz. I can see him having a decent season, but like, it truly doesn't even matter. If the Chiefs are going to be the number one short yardage rushing uh, team in the league, then what are we supposed to do here? Like, none of these teams really have a chance, uh, in my opinion. So, uh, this is just a Patrick Mahomes stat. Um, and the short yardage thing is, is a good, like, uh, Brett Veach stat to build through the offensive line and let Patrick Mahomes wander around, just throw the ball up to some yards after the catch guys. Yeah. You know, Kadir Sony was called the wide receiver one of this team all off season. Now he might miss multiple weeks, if not more than a month to me, I keep going back to all roads lead to it's Travis Kelsey and everyone else. And like Sky Moore will probably have a couple weeks. Maybe Rishi Rice has a couple weeks MVS might have a couple weeks. Heck, Richie James might be the player that gets to step up a little bit now, a bit more often. The only thing with Tony is if he misses action, they've already lost Miko Hardman. They do not have that manufactured touch player that Andy Reid schemes touchdowns for. Now, that's kind not sky thing, but maybe maybe it's Sky Moore. Maybe yeah. it's Sky Moore. But just an interesting little wrinkle to watch if they're running it with anyone else 
during the preseason that we haven't acknowledged. But before before we move on, this is another little thing. Uh, Sky Moore had negative EPA uh, on his targets. Like if you remove like some of the screens, which I was like, how how can you possibly do that in this offense? But that's what happened last year. Go and watch our second year wide receiver breakout show because while he didn't play a lot last year, when I went back and this is just eye test aesthetic stuff, I was a bit more in on Sky more than I anticipated. And by the way, um, I've noticed some Chiefs beat writers mentioning that even if Kadarius Tony plays in week one, the Chiefs are very accustomed to not giving full share of snaps to anyone yeah. coming off an injury for multiple weeks. It happened with Juju Smith-Schuster. It's happened with a bunch of players, CEH, in the past. Um, so just consider that even if you are drafting Kadarius Tony, he's quote-unquote cleared for week one. Do you think MV or uh, Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony is going to finish as the wide receiver one in ADP when BBM closes? Sky Moore. Yeah. I bet it's going to be Sky Moore. A little bit close. Hey, do you ever check your statement at the end of the month from your credit card bank account and see just subscriptions randomly there that you either forgot to cancel, want to cancel, don't know how to cancel? I've been there. It stinks. It's this ridiculous process. And that is where Rocket Money comes in. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills all in one place. Sounds incredible, huh? I mean, over 80% of people have subscriptions. And you and them can stop paying for the ones that you don't want. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's like finding an extra 20 or 40 bucks underneath your couch cushion to start the new year. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash underdog. That's rocketmoney.com slash underdog. Rocketmoney.com slash underdog. Las Vegas Raiders. So since 2021, so the last couple seasons, Derek Carr and Jimmy G almost identical in these quarterback-driven stats. Now, if you're going to do like this EPA per play and stuff, obviously Jimmy G had much better supporting cast. Those are uh, going to lean towards him. But in completion percentage over expected, they were barely right next to each other. PFF grade 72 to 71. Big time throw rate 5% to 4%. Turnover uh, play rate 3% to 4%. So really, it's just a stylistic thing that's going to be the big difference here and jimmy g is going to throw the ball underneath and over the middle of the field Derek carr quietly was actually throwing the ball downfield more yeah. so than ever so Devonte adams he's not going to ha- probably lead the nfl in deep targets he's definitely not going to have 5.2 more touchdowns than his usage would indicate last year but i would not be surprised if Devonte adams still had 175 targets I don't think there's going to be a massive decline in efficiency uh, in this offense. I just think that how they get there is going to look a lot different. So I think some of the, like, if you're looking at the, the season-long pickums, I would be gearing towards more like the receptions and the targets and stuff rather than the touchdowns when it comes to Devontae Adams. It was pretty wild going back and reviewing this Raiders team from last season when you mentioned those deep targets because, as you said, Devontae Adams had nine touchdowns, which led the league. Of 20 plus yards. Darren Waller by far and away was targeted the most on 20 plus yards for tight ends. I don't think that that's a Josh McDaniels thing though. Like that has never been a Josh McDaniels thing in his past. So like my question is where did it come from? And now it's definitely not a thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. So what was it like a one year weird wonder? And now we're just back to reality with Devontae yeah. Adams doing, because the thing with Devontae is he doesn't have to rely on those Big, like he's not Christian Kirk, Christian Watson or Christian Kirk in that way, right? Um, so we've seen him run short and intermediate routes to a very, very high degree. And then you can bring in Jacoby Myers, who can win in similar areas too. So it's just a weird mirage of a season, yeah. I feel like, for the Raiders last year. I think it's with everything with McDaniels, the they're still in the Josh Jacobs discussions that like everything about the Raiders is never straightforward. Los Angeles Chargers. So Justin Herbert obviously is battling through his own rib injury, but he also had injuries all around him. He only had 14% of the season staffs with his left tackle, Rashawn Slater. 
when Keenan Allen and Mike Williams were on the field, obviously that's when the offense are going to flow the best. They were only on the field together on 22% of the snaps. So when we're looking about how the A dot and stuff was, was too claustrophobic, it's probably because Justin Herbert didn't want to take hits. He was probably under pressure more often, and he's probably just throwing the ball to his best player who last year was Austin Eckler by far. So I think not, it's not just a Kellen Moore thing. It's not just a schematic thing. I think that Justin Herbert is going to throw the ball downfield more because everything around them looks way better. Quentin Johnson's a much better player, at least in explosives, compared to Josh Palmer. So I think that the Los Angeles Chargers could be one of these teams where it's like, we all know they're good, but they could just be, even be better than we're kind of expecting. And I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Herbert's back in like the top five fantasy discussion at quarterback. I have an entire episode devoted to this. It's our first episode of Scheme with the new co-host coming up in a couple of weeks. So I don't want to say too much. I will say a lot of blame was on the previous play caller for Justin Herbert not throwing down the field. I think it's more than just that factor. As you said, it was um, almost certainly part of the offensive line and trust that he had in that department, not just on Joe Lombardi, maybe some of it on the wide receivers as well. You didn't have a Quentin Johnson like type on the roster, but man, I'm going to put some of the blame on Justin Herbert as well. There, There were times when he would go one to two to check down so quickly that the routes weren't even developing down the field. But like you said, that can get you, you know, instead of second and 10, a second and four. Um, and maybe they thought that was a win. But again, combining with Kellen Moore, who gives you the answer on the check down, but also an answer down the field, that's something that I can't wait for you all to see because I'm really, really excited about it. Yep, I think that weakness only showed up when he had that rib injury, though. Like it, yeah. as a rookie and uh, or two seasons ago, he was Shane just Sykin. ripping it. Yeah, yep. with Shane Sykin, he definitely was ripping it. Los Angeles Rams, Cooper Cup time. I mean, he led the NFL with 439 and a half fantasy points in 2021. Not just led the NFL. It's a record of all time. Uh, then last year, he led the league in points per game, averaging 22.4 on pace for 380, which again would have been the wide receiver one. Um, are we having to draft the wide receiver one last year in points per game as the wide receiver one this year? No. We're not. I mean, it's that simple. Like the Rams, there are tons of questions. Their defense has entirely changed. This team just has a much different feel around it than the Super Bowl winning team a couple years ago. But if healthy, and you can say that for a bunch of players, but if healthy, Cooper Cup has, heck, I might even make him the favorite to be the number one wide receiver in fantasy football this year. And you're having to take him as wide receiver three or wide receiver four, depending on your league. Yeah, last year uh, in the first eight, nine games of of the year, the Rams were like bottom four in scoring in every one of these offensive metrics. And still, Cooper Cup was on pace for a NFL record in receptions. NFL record. Uh, We can see 150 receptions from him. Miami Dolphins. And this is going to be a tough one. Um, (laughs) Just looking at this chart, you can see how electric the Dolphins were early on and how they fell off. Uh, in fact, through week 12, two was first EPA per play by a country mile. And then the four games after week 12, two became 31st in EPA per play and 31st in completion percentage over expected. We've talked about this before. Was this concussions? Was this lingering injuries? Was this the offensive line falling apart? Or was it defenses taking away the middle of the field playing more press man coverage. And the reason why that's concerning to me and why I'm out on both Jalen Waddle and Tyree kill and Tua is because when we see Tua try to throw the ball to the sideline in a little bit off rhythm, I think that his arm uh, strength really starts to show how weak it is. And I think that as good as Jalen Waddle is and Matt Harmon uh, talked about this against press man coverage, some of that special sauce gets taken away and Jalen Wall is already due for a lot of negative regression just based on how efficient he was last year. But I don't think that this is like small sample size noise. I think the defensive matchups happened last year for a reason. And I think it's on the Dolphins to make that counter. And I think what that counter is going to be is they're not going to finish 31st in hmm. carries per game. I can see Dalvin Cook going in there, being a little bit more balanced on offense. And hopefully that opens up some throws over the middle again. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings just throw the ball like crazy, and this shouldn't be a surprise with their coaching staff. O'Connell last year, he called the number four neutral offensive pace and the number eight neutral pass rate offense, 
and their defense still stings. Their special teams was really bad last year, and it led the Vikings wide receivers to be second in fantasy usage. So uh, I know you just got caught for for speeding way too fast, Jordan Addison. Come on. But I think that he has a chance to like really be the guy that kind of beats his ADP. TG Hawkinson is certainly going to get his. His stats last year with the Vikings were awesome, especially with all those targets. Justin Jefferson, he's due for more touchdowns and all that fun stuff. But I think there's enough room for one more guy to kind of really make a difference and be a fantasy starter every single week. I think Jordan Addison is going to get there. And I think that everything from last year was unstable when it comes to wins. But the defense is still bad, and they're still going to throw the ball like crazy. And I think that Jordan Addison is good enough to soak up a lot of that volume. As soon as you said that Adam Thielen ran the second most routes in the NFL last season, I can't stop drafting Jordan Addison. We're going to do one of those shows for just you and I ahead of the NFL season. Jordan Addison is going to be one of those five names for me. New England Patriots. So Ramondre Stevenson averaged 17.2 expected half PPR points in the seven games without Damian Harris. That would have been the running back three last year. So he goes in the third round right now. There's some buzz that maybe like Leonard Fournette or somebody gets in there. But with Ty Montgomery playing a little bit more wide receiver and also Ty Montgomery, like do we have to pretend that this guy's going to matter again? No. Ramondre Stevenson, I think, is going to be able to handle all the goal line work. That's not a threat at all. And I think he's going to catch enough passes because I've seen him in that role, both at Oklahoma. He got in that role at times as a rookie. Last year certainly showed it. But I think that he has the the throwback bell cow type of skill set and size that we don't really see in the NFL. A lot of these running backs are getting into the league a little bit smaller. Ramondre Stevenson's a thick dude. I want my thick dudes. I want my running backs to kick your running backs ass. That's how I kind of view uh, this thing in half PPR. And I think that Ramondre Stevenson has plenty of ceiling, especially if Mac Jones can get back to where he was as a rookie. He's a unique player because despite that size, he hasn't been overly effective as like a LeGarrette Blunt, who's a similar size was in short yardage and goal line situations. That's why, you know, Damian Harris, other than just age and veteran ability, um, had that role previously. Mm-hmm. What Ramondre has that other people of a size do not have is he's like an elegant big play runner who creates on his own. So if he just plays that size a little bit more, and then as you said, gets that inside the 10 inside the five yard line work. Yes. Once again, I started back in May I can't stop drafting Ramondre Stevenson either. Um, I'm not alone. Everyone loves him. He's been a riser all summer. But it, it's one of those situations where, okay, he's going to have the passing down, and he probably has the goal line, and how does that fail? You know, Unless like the Patriots are just like a bottom three offense in the NFL this season. I just don't think that's very likely, to be honest. I don't think that's very likely either. New York Giants. Yeah, New York Giants. The jump that Daniel Jones made was absolutely incredible. Like Daniel Jones turned into a mistake-free quarterback last year, as you wrote in your column, uh, first in turnover rate as a team, best in the league. They also used his rushing ability in really advantageous ways. They were seventh in red zone TD rate. Um, He averaged a career-high 44 rushing yards per game, went from 23 and 25 design runs, then went up to 51 last year. He scrambled 40 more times last year than he did the years prior. So hopefully we get to keep that rushing surprise that Daniel Jones brought to the table last year. And then some of these new additions at wide receiver allow them to jump up from the third lowest average depth of target and the last in the league among 20 plus yard passing plays. Because if that's the case, I think we're still being able to buy a little bit of a dip in Daniel Jones because mm-hmm. he hasn't done it for two straight seasons. Yeah, I think part of the reason is there's not that many guys to stack with when you're trying to draft Daniel Jones. So I have been drafting some Daniel Jones and then tack on one of these wide receivers. My favorite right now is Isaiah Hodgins talking about the average depth of target. If there is going to be somebody that can win consistently, intermediate and downfield, I think Isaiah Hodgins is going to be one of those guys. If Darren Waller is as good as you guys think, then that would open up some things as well. But like the the rushing stuff was so good. And I think that's yeah. Daniel Jones is more athletic than people think. And uh, we've seen this with Dayball going back to the Bills as well with Josh Allen, obviously. Yeah, and I don't think that Dayball and Kafka are just like, this is the only way we run our offense. And this that's going to be so when defenses catch up, then they have no 
counterpunch. Let's put it that way. Um, I think we've seen Dayball have different offenses at every single stop he's had. And Mike Kafka has done a really good job of um, fooling defenses. New York Jets. Brees Hall had 15, 22, 16, and 17 expected half PPR points in his last four games before tearing his ACL. And we've seen Aaron Rodgers pepper his running backs with targets, especially at the goal line before. I think that Brees Hall has some of that special sauce. So the training camp reports and his health and stuff, everything kind of seems up in the air, kind of maybe directionally, relatively positive. But I think like once we get into like November and December, I wouldn't be surprised if Brees Hall is top five in his usage down the stretch. The Jets are all in for the Super Bowl. They only have one or two years with Aaron Rodgers. I think that they're going to be more willing to rush Brees Hall back um, and I think that we'll probably have to be starting closer to October and they're, they're on, but he's one of these guys like Ramondre Stevenson. You just don't see that many guys built with his size right now. And if there are guys available like that in the third round, I think we've got to take our chances. Unless injuries happen. I would say Brees Hall is probably glued into this running back 10 spot because Josh Jacobs is not reporting. And it seems like that's going to prolong. So I would highly doubt that Josh Jacobs jumps above pre-saw with this but i'm totally with you when i went back for our second year running back breakout show and reviewed Brees hall last season it was so easy to see just the running back routes and receptions that aaron jones and aj Dillon have done previously with aaron Rodgers, and how Brees hall is seamlessly seamlessly going to fit into that and now forward thinking josh not just thinking about week one week two week three but also week 13, week 14, week 15. Mm-hmm. Those are the weeks that really matter. And hopefully, and signs point to this, hopefully Brees Hall is fully healthy way before then and it lasts for that period of time because they can be an electric, electric combination. And that's not even including, hey, let's get an alley in the running game and then Brees Hall can take a 60 yard to the house. Yep, totally agree. The alphabet has been reorganized. So now we go on over to the New Orleans Saints. Um, I'm plucking this from your column, Hayden. I want the people to know that because I believe Chris Olave is an incredible talent. I mean, he was 2.42 yards per route run last year. That was sixth across the NFL, and that was just as a rookie behind a bunch of bona fide studs. And that's all despite playing with Andy Dalton and having 62% of his targets 10-plus yards down the field. Again, ridiculous numbers, incredible talent Chris Olave is but you're also paying the price to get him in your fantasy league at the moment, all the way up as the wide receiver 12, 19 overall. And that's only with four touchdowns scored last year. His four touchdowns scored maybe puts him in like the same range as Amon Ross St. Brown, but man, their usage is nothing like that. Chris Olave is not a volume player. Like you have to believe that Derek Carr plays better than Andy Dalton did last year year in order for Chris Olave, who again is an incredible talent to hit this payoff as you're taking him as a top 20 overall player. And you also have to think if Derek Carr plays better then the Saint teams like take some training wheels off mm-hmm. where they were 29th in neutral pace, 29th in neutral pass rate and last and fourth down aggressiveness. And that's a lot of ifs, a lot of ifs for an incredible talent but still going in the top 20 overall. Philadelphia Eagles, my favorite stats that you tweeted out. Jalen Hurts completed just 2.67 passes per game in the fourth quarter because they were literally blowing everyone out by the time that the final quarter rolled around. And he was still the best fantasy quarterback of all time across 17 games if you stretch it out for that. To me, that makes him regression-proof. Because Mm -hmm. things do regress on teams that are really good. We've used that word a lot this year. I know the commenters hate it, but it happens. As Hayden says, it's inevitable. So let's say the defense gets a little bit worse or certain injuries happen. They don't score as many points. They don't blow as many opponents. The opponents are better that they're facing this year. That means Jalen Hurts will have to throw more. He will have to have the pedal to the floor a bit more often in the fourth quarter. So we still might reach the same numbers that we got from him last year, albeit in a slightly different way. I just love the Eagles in every capacity. I wish they weren't going so damn high, but I've been taking A.J. Brown over Steph Diggs. I agree with what you and Matt Harmon said. Devonta Smith, of all the number two wide receivers on their own team, 
Devonta Smith, I think, is actually a true number one. I think that T. Higgins and Jalen Waddle are kind of on the fringe. I think that Devonta Smith is a tier better if you go watch the tape. Pittsburgh Steelers. Man, I hate this stat, but it's a true stat. From week 12 on, Kenny Pickett was second in PFF grade, second in big-time throws, first in turnover rate, ninth in pressure to sack ratio, 11th in quarterback runs, and ninth in EPA per play. This is a young offense. All of that stuff is just about this offense kind of gluing. There's a lot of continuity and young continuity where you can kind of layer on some of these breakouts all together. Go back and look at that breakout show that we, we did with uh, Ryan a couple weeks ago. It's all about the second and third and fourth year players. Everybody in this offense is, is a second, third year or fourth year player. And they're also replacing two offensive linemen that were fourth rounders back from last year's unit. I think that there's a chance that the Pittsburgh Steelers go from like 25th in scoring up to like 13th, 15th, somewhere in that range. And that's how Deontay or George Pickens or, or Pat Fryermuth even one of those guys, I think, has a chance to really break out. We have seen some movement since our second year breakout wide receiver show among this wide receiver grouping where at that time, George Pickens was going ahead of Deontay Johnson wildly. And now there are 10 wide receiver spots apart. Deontay is the wide receiver 29. George Pickens, the wide receiver 39. Um, Did you notice that Barnwell had Pickens as one of his five players? He can't stop drafting. I, I do like it. I like both of them. Very, very bold. San Francisco 49ers. I'll see your Kenny Pickett and raise you Brock Purdy. Uh, Brock Purdy was quarterback two in yards per attempt and quarterback four in EPA per play. We know that Brock Purdy is not even going to miss time now. He's not going to be full go 100% in camp, but he is or throw in multiple days in a row, but he's out there. And like that is way ahead of the timeline that early on, back when he had the surgery, it was maybe he'll make the end of camp. Now we're there from the start of camp. So the question is, what were the targets like for a guy who was so efficient last year throwing the football? Where were they distributed? The target shares in the six games when all of the pieces were healthy, including Brock Purdy last year, Debo Samuel, 25.5%. Christian McCaffrey, 21.6%. Brandon Ayuk, 16.1%. George Kittle, 11.5%. Now, Kittle had an unreal season in terms of touchdowns like we've never seen before. I love Brandon Ayuk as a player, um, but man, this stat, almost points it out to be that Brandon Ayuk is more meaningful in real life football than mm-hmm. he is in fantasy football. He reminds me of DJ Moore in a lot of ways where like the fantasy community loves him. We all agree that he's very good, but there's something about the team environments, not too kind of him. Debo Samuel says he's in the best shape since he's been in, in since 2019. I'm, kind of buying into Debo Samuel. I think that uh, if Brock Purdy is good at one thing, I think he just gets the ball out pretty quickly. And I think that uh, Debo Samuel could have a better season than he did last year. Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith on our quarterback train here was the quarterback nine in PFF grade, quarterback four in big time throw rate, quarterback seven in success rate, quarterback 14 in EPA per play, and quarterback one in completion percentage last year. That coincides with this offense and Shane Waldron giving him a stage to thrive as a quarterback as well, where they're sixth in neutral pass rate. Their offense led the NFL in deep ball catch rate and were fifth in big play runs. So to me, you look at all of these pieces and ask, well, Gino came out of nowhere, played like an MVP in the first seven weeks of the season. Can this sustain? Take all those ingredients. To me, the answer is clearly yes, with one caveat. It's going to be in a slightly different way because Seattle used 11 personnel at the 26th rate in the league last year. And that's going to be in the 75th, 85th, 90th percentile this year after spending a first round pick on JSN. But it's nice because where JSN wins is the part of the field that they didn't necessarily have last year. And that, and same thing with Zach Charbonnet. Zach Charbonnet does all the things that Kenneth Walker doesn't do. So like these two draft picks, I mean, it was like perfectly exactly what the Seahawks needed. I think that there's a chance that the Seahawks only trail the Eagles in points scored in the NFC. I think they're very legit. I think that Geno Smith was a very stable quarterback last year. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a doozy. Over the past two seasons, the Bucs have led the NFL in passing attempts. Only five teams have ever thrown the ball 700 or more times in a single season. 
Two of them are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the previous two seasons. Again, I want to bring up that stat I cited at the top. The Buccaneers had the fastest pace last year, which just means a few seconds between p- plays. Um, compare that to, again, the 2015. They ran 11 more plays. I highly doubt with a new play caller and a new quarterback that is not Tom Brady, who, by the way, behind an awful offensive line, was still able to lift Mike Evans to the wide receiver 14 in points per game and Chris Godwin to the wide receiver 17 in points per game. Um, I highly doubt that they're going to feel comfortable doing that with Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask. And so now, despite, again, being the wide receiver 14 for Mike Evans, you're able to draft him as the wide receiver 35. Wide receiver 17 last year for Mike for, for Chris Godwin, you're able to draft him as wide receiver 30. Is it fair to question if that is even a steep enough like drop-off? Like I'm still not yeah. taking those players at those prices because I think the Bucks, the bottom and the floor is just going to completely fall out from under them. I've been buying more Chris Godwin because I didn't think he looked that right last year. And I think there's a chance that he just plays better than what he did last year. And I'm a little bit worried that Mike Evans, like I, I would say last year was the first year where I was like, maybe he's just a little bit worse than he was. And we talked about on that, that breakout show on the age cliff show. Once you kind of see a sign of decline, that's when you finally get out of there. And I think I might've started seeing it last year with Mike Evans. I think that, Baker Mayfield would exasperate that as well. I talked about with Ron Stewart, but like, I don't think our brains can comprehend how many things are going to change when it's Tom Brady down to Baker Mayfield. And sure, you can put numbers to it again, a 16, no, God, even more than that, 21 spot difference between where Evans finished last year versus where you're drafting him now, a 13 spot difference between Godwin, right? I, I still can't do it. And I think the main thing is maybe not taking... Well, yeah, I'll even take some wide receivers instead of these guys. Like where Mike Evans is, we talked about Jordan Addison. We've talked about Jahan Dotson. And we've talked about Damian Pierce. Like I am taking all of those players. Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry, fourth in overall in fantasy points per game last year. I mean, career high in targets, 41. Career high in receptions, 33. Receiving yards, almost 400 of them. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as just like, in the third round, just take the guy that was fourth overall last year and was first overall the year before that. I do think that the DeAndre Hopkins signing is meaningful for the Titans because, one, they're going to be able to move the chains more. But also, it means that Ryan Tannehill, they're trying to win. They believe that they can win. The division and the wildcard spot, I think that there's a chance the Titans overperform and they're in the mix the entire year. I think Ryan Tannehill is a little bit underrated, but I still think that Derrick Henry, if he's going to play on more passing downs, which he did last year and get some of these receptions, he doesn't have to be the prime crazy freak. But I also think at the same time, Derrick Henry uh, at a complete superhuman level, if he was just able to last longer than the average NFL running back, that also wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Sometimes just freaks of nature beat age Mm -hmm. cliffs, you know, when Deandre Hopkins got signed to this team, I saw a bunch of people immediately say he's going to be the X wide receiver. I've seen people mention that during his final few years in Houston, when it was Bill O'Brien and also with Tim Kelly, that he actually was playing a bit more Z that might be in consideration here and keeping Traylon Burks at the spot where he was learning on the job last season. I don't think that really changes necessarily any projections out there, but just like a little designation thing that, I don't know if that's already been reported differently, mm-hmm. but just something I've been thinking through that maybe he isn't the X now and that Traylon Burks moves around. It could be the yeah. opposite. I think it hurts Chigakwankwo the most. I think Chig is kind of maybe more of a little manufactured touch. Johnny Smith player, you don't need that anymore in this offense. No, absolutely not. Washington Commanders. An amazing stat from your final column. Terry McLaurin only has three career touchdowns inside of the 10-yard line. Three career touchdowns inside of the 10-yard line. He just finished his fourth NFL season. I mean, 18 pass catchers had four or more touchdowns inside of the 10-yard line just last season. I mean, heck, when you think of where all the, all the touchdowns are thrown in the NFL, last year, there were 750 passing touchdowns. 49.6 of them were thrown inside the 10-yard line. And Terry McLaurin only has three and four NFL seasons. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know what that means necessarily. One, we know that he's incredible on big plays and contested catches, and he's been forced to catch balls from quarterbacks in that area. Two, ding, he hasn't ding. been 
Yeah. Two, he hasn't been in an offense that probably has as many, you know, red zone inside the 10 yard line drives like other great elite wide receivers have across the league. Or is it three? His skill set doesn't necessarily just fit in that area. I would say that's probably how I would rank them. And if that's Mm -hmm. the case, maybe this is like an untapped potential that we haven't gotten from Terry McLaurin so far. If your boy Sam Howell can step up to the job. <laughs> I, I think that Chris Olave and Terry McLaurin are are fairly similar. And like Chris Olave, like we're talking about, he's very good down the field, route running, all that stuff, very fast. But sometimes the skill set doesn't translate into certain parts of the field. And I think that could be uh, what we're getting with Chris Olave and Terry McLaurin. I think it's just a quarterback stat. Like the commanders have just sucked. And now the problem is even if Sam Howell is better, Jahan Dotson now is, competing right. with him and Curtis Samuels they're competing and now all of a sudden Antonio Gibson's in the JD McKissick role they're just more mouse defeat so I think Terry McLaurin has just unfortunately he's got that DJ Moore capped ceiling right now I don't know man I- I'm excited for Terry McLaurin as wide receiver 23 like just seeing DeAndre Hopkins name right after that I'd rather take the swing on yeah. Terry McLaurin than I would DeAndre Hopkins yeah this is where like it's like to me it just goes back to the running backs like Joe give me Joe just give me Joe Mixon you know <laughs> like what are we doing here all right we did it 32 in just under over an hour. Hey, let's get out of here. No outro. Go and check out the rest of the show. Go and check out all of Hayden's columns or link in the description down below. Go and try NFL season pick them. If you've never had before, if you click our link in the description, I'll match your first deposit up to 100 bucks up the villa. We'll talk to you next time.